0: So before we get started um, on our passage today, 2 Samuel 7, um, I just wanted us to ask ourselves a question. Um, And that question is, what is our legacy? I'll ask it again, what is our legacy? Uh, Or in other words, how are we going to be known by those who come after us? And are we focused on moving towards that ideal. As I go through this talk this morning I just want us to all keep that in mind um, as I continue. So 2 Samuel 7, an incredibly important chapter in the Old Testament and especially um, for things that happen in the New Testament. Um, We see at the beginning of the chapter that David um, is sitting in his home, his palace um, in the city of Jerusalem and he's enjoying a time of peace from his enemies. You know, he thinks back um, to how much God has done for him in the past. Whether that be saving him from an early death at the hands of his father-in-law, King Saul, um, or granting him victory in all of his battles, um, from being anointed so many years ago by the prophet Samuel um, after working a hard day as a shepherd. To defeating the Philistine giant Goliath um, and the courage that must have taken. To have finally unified the 12 tribes of Israel um, after the death of King Saul, um, for those of you who may not know, um, one of Saul's generals, Abner, um, tried to raise up one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, um, to be king. Um, and there's a little bit of turmoil there, but eventually David does um, become king over all of Israel. David has finally accomplished his his underdog story, his Cinderella story, you know, the slipper fits. Um, He has overcome all the obstacles in his path and has achieved the ending um, that we are rooting for, that his fans are rooting for, his people. He has become a king unlike Saul, a king that Israel had hoped to be led by. David is a servant of God, as the passage states, and he only shows us further um, through his next actions. Um, The word servant in this passage actually is used um, in a lot of the Old Testament to describe people like Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, um, and Israel as well, and the coming Messiah. This word, servant, is especially important because I think it describes David um, in the best way as servant king. And as this servant king, um, a follower of God, David wants to make arrangements to build a true home for the Ark of the Covenant that David talked about last week um, in chapter 6. He wishes to build a temple in Jerusalem um, that will um, be especially important. Now, as a Bible college student, Um, I just couldn't help resist um, looking at um, some of the uh, context and some of the uh, cultural things that were happening in that time, Um, so if you'll indulge me, I'll share a little bit of what I've learned. Um, So not only was Jerusalem uh, a politically neutral city um, in the time, so David chose Jerusalem um, as a neutral ground um, between the northern and southern tribes um, to build his capital, um, but it was also um, most well known it's also most well known as the city of David or David's city and it's that's especially important um, because it wasn't owned by anyone it was David's city it was his thing um, and to further um, his rule and his kingdom um, the next step uh, would be to build a temple for God um, to make uh, all of uh, Israel's religion kind of centered um, in that city in the capital and to um, make God more central to their religion um, and their belief system. David wanted to make Israel um, a place where Jerusalem was the religious epicenter um, and truly root God's dwelling place um, with with him uh, alongside his palace and his home um, to make it a part of his kingdom. So what is the Davidic Covenant? What is um, God's promise um, to David? So the passage talks about God's promise as having three parts, which I will explain. Um, So the first part is to make David's name great, um, to uh, make his name one of the greatest on earth. Um, And we're talking about him now, so I think that is um, something that uh, was accomplished. as one of parts of his promises. The second part of the promise um, was, and I guess the third, second and third kind of go together, was to make one of David's descendants um, a king and a ruler forever, and um, the third part would be for that throne to be established, um, so to have a king and a kingdom that were established forever. Um, And I think one of the things that we don't realize about these promises is that they didn't come out of God's um, initiative, or they didn't come out of um, the prophet's initiative, it came out of David's own initiative. And I think that's super, super important to point out. It's David who goes and wants to build a temple to honor God. It's David who goes and seeks counsel from the prophet Nathan. David asks for, asks for advice on whether it's a good idea or not, and Nathan gives him a big thumbs up, he says, go for it, God's with you, and he thinks it's also a pretty good idea, because why wouldn't it be to build a temple for God? But the passage goes on, and it says, later that night, like immediately right after, God's like, Nathan, I need you to go back, and I need you to say no to David. I need you to say no to building a temple for me right now. And God actually kind of does something pretty funny, I think, when You read read the text, and it says that God asks, um, through Nathan, um, David, did I ask you to do this for me? Did I ask you to build a temple for me um, in Jerusalem? And I think this question can translate a lot to my life and all of our lives. um, In How often do we, as Christians, think we know what's best instead of just asking God what he wants from us. How often do we um, go off and um, kind of go in our circles and converse and think of like these great ideas? How often do we actually go to God and be like, hey, what do you want from us today? How often do we ask God of that? You know, and being told no from God can sometimes suck. And I find that I often expect God to always be saying yes to what I want to do. You know, there are so many moments in our lives uh, where we can so deeply hope for something in our lives and only for it to end up with a no. But even when God says no to us, he is still walking alongside us. And in the passage, it actually um, emphasizes this. When God says no to David's idea of building the temple, God makes it clear through the prophet Nathan that David hasn't been abandoned by him. And how, he, how does he do that, you might ask? He assures David that he has been with him in the past. He says that he has been with Israel since their escape from captivity in Egypt, and he's been with David um, every step of the way. Wherever he went, he has cut off all of David's enemies From before him he has been with israel in every place that they have gone in a dwelling that is called the tabernacle or a tent Um, god has been with israel and he's been with david in every place that they've been wherever they've gone and god says god's saying to david how in the past he's been with him and in the future he will be with him as well David's kind of wrapped up in all of this, um, all of his attempts to try to build the temple and finally establish the Ark of the Covenant um, in a way to honor God and to serve God and to bring God the glory. Um, and I think oftentimes we can also pay attention to things that are happening in our lives when really we should be paying attention to something else. Now, if you know me, you'll know that I tend to be a massive procrastinator. I don't. Um, Focus very well, um, especially when I'm working at home. Sometimes, um, so sometimes when I'm like writing a paper or doing a project or even writing the sermon, what I'll do is I'll set up a music playlist, I'll eat a snack, I'll set up my laptop with some uh, a bunch of like 20 tabs open, um, I'll take a shower, I'll get some water, I'll make some tea, um, all before I start doing work, and I lose focus. Um, And I think there's points in our lives where we do need to refocus and reset. Um, And I find that I often have to be reminding myself of times in my life where I haven't been focusing on things. And when I refocus on things that are important, um, that's when we can, that's when I accomplish my best work and accomplish um, things that I um, don't expect. So God refocuses David towards something else in this moment. God is the one who says to David that instead of building um, up a dwelling for him, God will instead establish a house for David. You know, it's kind of like a complete reversal here. It's like the reverse Uno card of um, a story. Um, David instead of building a temple for God, God will make David's name great. He'll bring David the glory as one of the greatest men on earth. God will raise up David's offspring to establish a kingdom forever. And that will be the house on which God builds his name. God will call one of David's descendants to be a son, and likewise for God to be the father. It's an incredible covenantal promise that God makes to David in this passage. While David was on his deathbed, he remembers this promise, he thinks back to this promise. And he tells his son Solomon to follow God's commands because of God's promise to David that he will never fail to bring about one of his descendants to be on an eternal throne for Israel. As long, and as, long as they're walking with God, um, there is this kind of a unconditional promise that God will bring about a kingdom for Israel. So in 1 Kings 2 and 3, Solomon actually completes a part of this covenantal promise to David. Um, He builds um, the temple that David was unable to build, but he also continues to reign as uh, a descendant of David um, in the kingdom. And this continues on for a short while until Solomon's death and the kingdom of Israel actually splits up. Um, For those of you who may not know, um, after Solomon, uh, the Israelites actually split up into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, And both of these kingdoms, um, after a while, um, the Assyrians will come in um, in 722 BC and actually take out um, Israel and capture them and put them into captivity. Um, And later on, actually, in around 586, 587 BC, Um, The kingdom of Judah is ultimately destroyed. The temple that Solomon builds is ultimately destroyed by the Babylonians. And it's in those moments that Israel and um, the Israelites had to re-examine and refocus on what David's covenantal promise from God was really all about. It's in exile that the Israelites had to re-examine their expectations. David's legacy could no longer be lived out by his people. The kingdom was gone. The physical land that was promised to Abraham that David had um, ultimately built up as a kingdom was no longer theirs to reign over. In Ezra chapter 3, it actually talks about how when Israel and the Jewish people um, actually moved back to the land and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, that the, the older Levites and the priests, actually mourned, because the temple that was built there uh, wasn't as beautiful, wasn't as grand, wasn't as majestic as the temple that Solomon had built. And it leaves the question of how does God's covenantal promise come, because the kingdom is no longer there. In Sunday school for the past year, we've kind of been learning about God's rescue plan, and The question I want to ask is how was God's rescue plan to restore humans um, to um, right standing with God, to restore humans to shalom um, and a covenant community with him supposed to come through Israel if Israel was no longer a kingdom? And the answer to that is actually found um, while they're in exile. The prophets um, in the Old Testament actually point towards a new future hope. They taught uh, a future for Israel um, that was beginning to form a new culture as the Jewish people um, under the might of huge empires. They pointed towards a coming Messiah. One who would be born in David's own hometown because of a Roman census that required David's descendants to return home. One that points towards um, a man baptized in the River Jordan being raised up as God's own son, um, to whom he's known as a father, um, whom um, the father loves and is well pleased with. David's legacy ultimately rests in Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And Jesus proclaims and has proclaimed, the coming of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. You'll see it mentioned a bunch of times in the Gospels. The kingdom of God that has been established by him, um, that is beyond physical and political boundaries. A kingdom that brings healing to the sick and community to the marginalized and seeking the lost. We can find hope in this promise that was given to David um, from God Um, that he is with us, that God is with us as we are members of this kingdom. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who has come, who has inherited what was promised to David, and who has passed it on to us. So what is our legacy? What are we passing on, that has been passed on to us in the kingdom of God. The kingdom that Jesus invites us in as Christians is a part of David's legacy. It's a part of the covenantal promise that was made hundreds of years ago that we get to live in today. We are a part of a kingdom where God is with us, and we know that because of things that he's done for us in the past. God is with us in the present as he will be in the future. God is with us in whatever we do. Even when he says no to us. Even when things don't go our way. My challenge for us today um, is to ask ourselves throughout this week, Um, What we want our personal legacy to be, and what we want our legacy to be as the church. What are we passing on to those who come after us? What do we want to be for those who see us as the kingdom? How are we setting that example?